Welcome to episode three of Civil War Breakfast Club. I am your co-host, Mary, and joining me tonight is my co-host, Darren. Hi, Mary. Hey, how's it going? Good. How was your week? Oh, it was pretty good. How about you? It was not too, too bad. It's great. Uh, late August. Actually, we're in September now. Yep. So autumn is almost upon us, which yep, brings yeah. us pumpkin beer and football and all the things that go with the fall. Yes, we've made it to September the 1st. It did. Yes. It did. Well, what beer are you drinking tonight? Because that's the like, most important question of our podcast. Oh, well, I, I decided, well, as far as I'm concerned, it's fall. It's autumn. So it's Shipyard Pumpkin brewed in beautiful Portland, Maine. Nice. And I'm drinking that out of my, of course, my I Dream of a Brighter Atlanta Sherman coffee mug because yep. that seems to be appropriate. Yep. That is leading into what our topic is. But before we get to that, so I am drinking Lost Craft Eclipse Milkshake India Pale Ale. And the reason I'm drinking that is because it has the half moon symbol on it. So I consider this to be Team OO Beer. Team so, OO Beer, yeah, without a doubt. Howard is going to be discussed a little bit in tonight's episode because... No, really? Howard's find a way to sneak my favorite. How is that, how is that a th- even a thing? Olive Road is Howard in the West. Yeah. I thought I thought it's Santa Chancellorsville. That was it for him. <laughs> I thought... Wait, oh, hold on a second. I thought that after Chancellorsville, they put him on a rocket ship to the moon and he was gone. Because I know from reading Twitter... But he did nothing after Chancellorsville, and he is a complete failure. So how, are you telling me he was in the West? I'm telling you he was in the West. <laughs> yeah, I, I, if you were on Twitter, you would know that. <laughs> well, I guess I'll have to wait to see that, because frankly, that sounds unbelievable. Yeah, according to according to Twitter, all Oliver Hodes Howard did was was fail at Chancellorsville. And he did okay at Gettysburg, but after that, like, it's not known what he no, did. No, he failed at Gettysburg, too. <laughs> he failed at Gettysburg. He failed at everything he's ever done. Yeah. And the reason why he has the moon is because that's where he probably is right now. They put him on the moon. And he's probably screwing that up too. Anyway, my mug for tonight is, of course, General Sherman, because that is what we're talking about tonight. We are talking about Sherman securing Atlanta, which, Battle of happened, Atlanta. which happened, the anniversary of which is tomorrow, September the well, 2nd. Today is September 1st as we record this. So it'd be, this will drop on the whatever Saturday is, right? Fifth? Okay. So by the time this drops, the battle will have been over. All the notes between Hood and Sherman will have been read. Everything will have been done. But until then, we can certainly talk about the Battle of Atlanta. And I know when I think of Atlanta, what do you think of when you think of Atlanta? Like the campaign itself that Sherman Just Atlanta. I mentioned Atlanta. What do you think about Atlanta? Just the the word Atlanta. I don't know. I've always associated with Sherman. Really? Yeah. I associate with two things. Sherman and the New England Patriots. I remember that game. Oh, do I remember that game? I it was before I was enlightened and was a Patriots fan. I remember before you saw the light. Yeah, before saw I saw the light. I remember swearing at my fucking TV when that happened. I was too, but it was in tears of joy. I mean, it was 28-3. They're getting their asses kicked. Well, this is not going to work out too well. And they came back and won. And when they when they scored that winning touchdown, I I think I was more laughing than anything, to be totally honest. William Tecumseh Sherman and Tom fucking Brady, the two worst things that ever hit. The town of Atlanta. And it was so speaking of football, I know we're digressing a little bit, but we tend to do that. Yeah. I went to the Super Bowl in Atlanta a couple of years ago when the Patriots played the Rams. And I wore one day I wore my Sherman t shirt throughout the town. And people didn't some people got a kick out of it, some people didn't. But then I wore my twenty eight to three t shirt at the bars. Ooh. Oh my god, you would you would have thought that somebody would have posted they like Howard is their best general. They were so upset. The way people are freaking out about that. <laughs> It was it was bad. I was catching all kinds of shifts. It, it was hilarious, but it was a good time. Atlanta's a great city, and I remember we were sitting at a bar, uh, me and our friend Bill, and 
if anybody who's been to Atlanta, it's a relatively new city. It's a beautiful city. All mm-hmm. the buildings are brand new. And I, I, we were sitting, and I was sitting with my, my Sherman t-shirt at the bar. And I said, um, I said to the bartender, I go, you know, Atlanta is an old city, but everything looks brand new. And he looks at me, he goes, yeah, cause you assholes burns it all. But they only burn 30% of it. I know, but for God's sakes, how many people told me that their great grandfather's farm was burned by Sherman and they lived in 50 miles. I'm like, he wasn't even close. Well, yeah. You know what? Whatever. I think Sherman Just set, be- set, Sherman set every single barn in Georgia on fire. He's still doing this. Yeah, I know. The whole He's entire state is still on fire. Like we're saying, McClellan's still at Jamestown. He's still hanging out there. <laughs> and Sherman is still burning bars in Atlanta in barns. He's still doing it. He's a menace. I actually find though the attitude towards Sherman in like northern Georgia is a lot different than I think the further south you go. I think the closer you get to Savannah, it gets a little bit dicier as to how people feel about him. Because I remember sitting in a winery in Georgia wearing my Sherman t-shirt. And waiting to grace yourself with the locals. This is pretty much what I did. Yeah. You know, they're a good group down there. It was, it's a, it's a nice place. Georgia's a very nice place to go if you ever been. But Atlanta was, um, it was important not only now, but it was important way back then mm-hmm. before CNN and all the TV stations were created and put yeah. down in Atlanta before the Braves and the Falcons and, and the Atlanta Hawks because it was a pivotal, pivotal battle, not just for the battlefield, but the political scene going on at the time. And we, all the Gettysburg people, myself included, look at Gettysburg as the big battle. But I think historically, I think Atlanta is probably what ultimately saved the union because of the, because of the Lincoln election. Securing Atlanta w- was huge. And that was not like, so when the Atlanta campaign began in May of 1864, which it began uh, from Ringgold Gap, Georgia, and there's a marker at Ringgold Gap, which it's funny, there's a marker for the Atlanta campaign and then the Patrick Claiborne statue. And I'm pretty sure that between Sherman and Claiborne, one of them's laughing about that, and it's not Sherman. I would guess probably not. No. I'm sure Claiborne would find the humor in it, but Sherman, no. But So that marker actually is where I consider the march to the sea to have begun. I just kind of see Atlanta as kind of a stopping point. Well, I mean, Atlanta, I mean... They call it the Battle of Atlanta, but really it was kind of the middle of the campaign anyway. Yeah, the it, Battle it has of Atlanta was in, in the middle. Well, it has this finality to it, the Battle of Atlanta, you know. Yeah. But but really, it's um, it went on beyond that. I mean, obviously Sherman stuck around for a while. He you know he liked it. Must have loved the barbecue because everything was cooking, <laughs> everything was smoking. <laughs> so he took advantage of that good Georgia barbecue while he was in Georgia because he stuck around for a bunch of time until he decided to go to Savannah. But but I think you know when we when we talk about Atlanta and we talk about all the stuff going on, people focus on the Battle of Gettysburg because it's the, in the East and it was a big psychological battle. It wasn't a military battle that Vicksburg ultimately proved to be as far as that goes. But Atlanta, if things didn't go well for Atlanta, it's, you know, you've got McClellan and all the peace Democrats who were, who were trying to run against him. The election of 1864 was the 8th of November and Atlanta fell on September 2nd of 1864. So you think about how things could have changed. And I know we talked about this the other day, talk more about this as we talk into the details of this battle, all they had to do was try to muddy up the water and muck Mm -hmm. up everything to keep the Union where they were, like a la Vicksburg. If they could have stalled them, like they did, for example, I know Vicksburg has got different fortifications and blah, 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 and we're going to get everything else with the water and the Mississippi, but if they could have stalled them, it would have been so different because if Atlanta had not fallen yet and it got to the election, I think Lincoln loses. I think they do. He thought they did too. Yeah, I agree with you. Like things were not going well in 1864. He was actually very, very scared to the point where he 
had a cabinet meeting and he had written this letter basically saying, okay, if I lose, I'm going to help the next president, but there's a very real possibility I could lose. So they need to secure Atlanta, not just because it's the Confederate Heartland important railway hub where they're getting supplies from and it's a supply depot. They also have to secure it for moral reasons as well, because they need that city. As you said, McClellan's running against Lincoln just after the year had gone. They definitely needed that morale boost. Now you also have things happening down in Mobile Bay too that are going to help boost morale in the north as well as you have um, Sheridan and the Shenandoah Valley. Now the way Sherman speaks in his memoirs he acts as if he is the reason for Lincoln winning the election. I love Sherman. He's my second favorite general but he's pretty arrogant about that victory at Atlanta saying like uh, this is why Lincoln won the presidency. It's definitely definitely quite bombastic. No, mm-hmm. no question about that. But you know what though? He's, he's, he's sort of right though. He kind of is, though, in a way. I'm not saying he's the only reason why. He'd be a hell of a campaign manager if that were the case. But I mean, if, if Sherman doesn't, you know, if he doesn't do what he did, you can, you can legitimately make a case that the Northern, the Northern press was killing Lincoln, killing him. Yeah. For everything that was going on. Talk about the details of the battle with, with John Bell Hood and everything he did. It was such a self-inflicted error. I think the biggest enemy that the Union had in this battle going into it was the clock. The clock was running out. They needed time, and they they had it. It was the election was coming, and what does the Confederacy do? It bails them out. So we were saying about the football thing a little while ago. You've got the ball. You need to run the clock out. What do you do? You hand the ball off. You let the clock run. You you yeah. kind of slow the game down. Hood he goes into a shotgun five wide, starts throwing the ball over the freaking place, and kills the clock and tries to play offense, and it comes and blows up in his face. Yeah. Now I know Atlanta is your baby whole thing. <laughs> no question about that. But we can set the stage with this battle of Atlanta and try to understand how it turned out the way it did and how, in my opinion, a colossal Confederate battle plan error, probably by leading with the hiring of of Hood and the firing of Johnston, ultimately doomed them. And when you look at it again, we talked before about how we have 150 years to look back and blah, blah, blah. You have to think that somebody was on the way saying, listen, let's just keep playing defense like we've been doing throughout this campaign and just make it to the election. Why wouldn't, why in the world would you try to play offense and push them back? Well, because you didn't, you, you would be, you didn't have as many troops. But anyway, here I go on a roll again with this no. whole thing. That's awesome. But that's that's how it is. So the firing of Johnston and the hiring of John Bell Hood was Mm -hmm. probably one of the more controversial moments for the Confederacy, ideally. What was Jefferson Davis doing? Who knows? What was he thinking? Because for the most part, he had patience with guys like Bragg and these other train wreck guys. Johnston, to me anyway, he was playing the game plan exactly the way he should have done it. Yeah, Sherman was flanking him. He was going around him. He was giving up up land, dropping back to the, uh, what's the name of that river again? Chattahoochee. Chattahoochee. I can't say it. Chattahoochee. Chattahoochee. It's one of those, it's like you're Massachusetts. I just can't, you can't say that. I can't, <laughs> I can't say Massachusetts. See there, I just. You put too many <laughs> T's in it. I know. So let's set the stage for the Battle of Atlanta. Let's relive the Battle of Atlanta and kind of go from there. The whole campaign is actually a series of different battles, which includes the Battle of Atlanta as well, which is fought. So you have like battles like Rosaka, Kennesaw Mountain, which was a complete fuck up on Sherman's part with a, I think it was a frontal assault that he did and which he was had always been known to avoid. That's fought June 27, 1864. 
You have the Battle of Peachtree Creek, and then you have the Battle of Atlanta, which puts them right on the outskirts of Atlanta. There is an important Union commander killed here, and that's James Burbside McPherson. And when he is killed, John Logan is put in temporary command of the Army of the Tennessee. What his nickname was? Black Jack. Black Jack. Black Jack Logan is put in Black Jack Logan. And Sherman wants somebody else in command. He chooses Oliver Otis Howard. Logan never forgave him for that. Now, some people, like, I had this kind of discussion on Twitter the other day. Some people were saying he only chose Howard because Howard was a West Pointer, and that, yes, that may have factored into it. Logan had not attended West Point, but I also think that Sherman chose Howard based on the fact that I think he saw Howard as being a pretty talented guy as well. Howard's going to go on to command the right wing to the March to the Sea. If Howard's coming West with clearly what might be a reputation for Chancellorsville and Gettysburg, if Sherman really saw him as a failure for what he did there, he would not have chosen him for those roles. Obviously, Sherman's not have a Twitter because if he read Twitter, (laughs) then he would have seen that, oh my God, there's no way I can have this guy Oh, oh, Howard? Oh, my right, right wing commander? But they have a lot of guys, though. I mean, you, you look at the overall army. I mean, 90,000 U.S. guys to about 50 or 60 Confederate guys. A lot of troops on the battlefield and a lot of a lot of big names that who are former guys in the East would go ahead and, and fight this battle. So I, I think the first step, you know, of, with all this stuff on the Confederate side was why Davis fires Johnston to bring in John Bellhood. The reason he does that is because he did not like Johnston's game plan. He mm-hmm. pulls Johnston into a meeting and says, okay, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And Johnston told him he was just going to keep playing the defensive, but he didn't, basically did not want to fight any more battles. And Davis said, fuck that. And then they leave the meeting and Davis sends him a telegram telling him he's fired, basically saying, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. I mean, it's kind of like the equivalent to getting broken up with via text message. A John Deere letter. Yeah. Like, <laughs> dear John letter. You didn't see Dumb and Dumber? I have seen Dumb and Dumber. The, 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 the hot tub scene where he was just sent me a John Deere letter. Oh, right. Mary, you need to brush up on your pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> So, but you look at, so he fires him because, I mean, but Johnson didn't have, it's not like he had a lot of bad luck though. Davis d- conveniently forgets about the whole Kennesaw Mountain thing. Mm-hmm. Sherman was doing his traditional flank to the left, flank to the right, and doing that whole thing, going around him. They kept dropping back, stalling, yeah. stalling, stalling. And they were getting closer and closer to to Atlanta. Johnson has that really solid victory at Kennesaw, Cheatham Hill, Pigeon Hill, all, all the stuff that maybe someday we'll talk more about in detail about, about Kennesaw. I think we can do that. I think we could probably do that. Yeah. But yeah. Needless, needless to say, the Confederates have a solid victory, and things are starting to feel good for them. Yep. Again, but then they start falling back, and then you end up with this meeting where they fire Johnston, they bring in John Bell Hood right off the bat. They end up with uh, the battle three days later that he's not ready to fight to fight with. Yeah, they end up getting their their butts handed to him and with John Bell Hood in, in, in commands. And, and from that point, and it was like the die was cast. The whole the whole thing turned into a shit show very very quickly. Yeah, it was just a siege where Sherman was constantly trying to break his supply lines and he couldn't. So the two of them are like, you know, Hood would go out to repair stuff. But the thing is, is like there was others in the Confederate army that would have been, had they been in command, things might have been gone a lot differently. Now, Hardy would not have wanted the command. Beauregard had burned that fucking bridge with Davis already. Well, he'd already shown himself to fall back at Corinth, and they weren't going to hire him for that. But but you look at, okay, I I can almost think of another general on the other side who was hired three days before a battle and and seemed to do pretty well. I wonder where that could have been. My boy. You know, maybe in the East. Yeah. So... July 17th, John Bell Hood is hired to take mm-hmm. over the forces in Atlanta. Yeah. And three days later is the Battle of Peachtree Creek. And instead of Meade playing a more defensive battle, which he ultimately did, he goes all in. He goes 
He goes shotgun offense. He goes right in there and he gets his ass handed to him. 55 or so hundred casualties right off the bat. And cause he wanted, he needed to show Davis that he was a hard charging, aggressive type of guy. And we saw that later on, later on up in Tennessee with, with, yeah. with later on. And so I guess you can sort of give him credit a little bit for preaching what he talked, but the battle plan, I, I have to think going defense to offense in that spot didn't make any sense. It, it mm-hmm. to me, it didn't anyway. No. Again, they didn't ask either, <laughs> but if they did, I would have said, we got to play defense here. I would have pulled a long street. You shouldn't be doing this. We should play defense. We should, but no, but not Hood, that Hood was very, very aggressive and Sherman knew that. And that's what Sher- Sherman wanted. Sherman was like, good. I, now I know I, I've got this. But if you look at the one person that was passed over, which a few were shocked by was Patrick Claiborne. Mm-hmm. Had Claiborne been at Atlanta? I think it would have been a lot tougher for Sherman. We were saying on Twitter today, mm-hmm. much of the consternation of some of the people who we're dealing with today <laughs> is Claiborne and Albert Sidney Johnson in, in my opinion, anyway, no one asked me my opinion, but my opinion is they were the two best generals in the Confederacy in the West by that far. Is, that is my opinion too. I've always if, thought that and, about them. And if, and if Albert City Johnson were to live the Battle of Shiloh and he would have been a formidable foe for Grant and Sherman in the Western theater, things would have been completely, completely different historically. I don't think, well, let's just, let's just assume he lives and, and let's assume he continues his, his career the way it looked like he was going to, he was going to progress. He could have been an actual legit foe for Grant. Does that mean Grant maybe doesn't go east in 1864? Maybe he stays west? Does that mean Sherman does not get to cruise through Atlanta and cruise the battle of the March of the Sea? Does he not get to hook up, you know, with Grant if Grant does go coming down the east coast to mm-hmm. put that pincer on on the east coast to, to stop the Confederacy flat and ultimately end the war? I don't know. I don't know. So it's, it's again, the what if thing is really, really cool, but yeah. Sherman's army, the army of the west, the military division of Mississippi, yeah. I've also heard it called. The Mississippi, I'm sorry. We're all named up the rivers here in the Union. Okay. So it was comprised of Army of the Cumberland, yep. Army Led of the Tennessee, yep. and of course, the Army of the Ohio, mm-hmm. because I guess Michigan wasn't available, so we had to go with Ohio. <laughs> there were some great people in the Army of the Cumberland and that we can certainly talk about. The Rocket Chicken Laga. It started off with the fourth corps commander who was the great, great. Oliver Otis Howard. Howard, yes. Okay. F- followed by John Palmer in the fifth to 14th Corps. Yep. Joseph Hooker? Yep. 20th Corps? Yep. It's too bad it wasn't the 30th Corps. You'd have Joseph Hooker and XXX next to his name. <laughs> right? How cool that have been? <laughs> so appropriate. Oh, what a bad. Especially with Butter- <laughs> especially when Butterfield was one of his one of his brigade commanders. Yeah. Oh. You could have had Hooker Butterfield XXX. X. <laughs> if they invented neon, they would have had that. That's exactly that, what they would have would have been though, like over Hooker's tent would have been like this neon XXX. Can you imagine what that core flag would have looked like? <laughs> it would have been awesome. It would have been really, really cool. And amazing. of course and of course you have um the cavalry go Washington Elliott, and then yeah. the Army of the Tennessee. Yeah, which starts right. off being commanded by James Byrd's Diamond Pearson, who was yeah. unfortunately killed at the Battle of Atlanta. And his death for on both sides was considered to be very, very tragic because he was considered one of the more talented men in the Union Army. Sherman is greatly affected by his death, as you and I were talking about earlier, Darren, about that letter that he wrote about him. And then, as, uh, as was as was Hood. Hood, Hood was, was a boy, Hood, boyhood Hood, friend. Yeah, Hood went to school with him at West Point, I believe, and they were. Mm-hmm. You can see he, McPherson is one of these men who is well respected on both sides. 
sides. And his story, for another reason that's sad, is because his he was engaged to be married and he had actually asked right before the Battle of Atlanta was fought, he had asked Sherman for a furlough so he could go marry his wife. I believe her name was Emily, if I'm getting that right. It um, was Emily. Emily, yeah. At the last minute, Sherman said, no, you, I need you to be here. He wrote her, Sherman wrote her a letter after basically apologizing. I think he felt pretty bad for that, that, you know, maybe had he let James go, James would have lived. But this, so as I said earlier, the Army of the Tennessee is going to be commanded eventually by uh, General Oliver Otis Howard. And in this one, you have Logan commanding a corps, Grenville M. Dodge, Frank P. Blair Jr., who is related to the Blair family. Preston Blair, Blair, you old Preston Blair. Yes. <laughs> and then finally, we have the Army of the Ohio, which is commanded by John Schofield and is going to be the smallest force here. I think they only had 15,000 troops. They, they actually, uh, yeah, well, actually, 14, 15,000 right around there. Yeah. But we still don't know what they did. No, they, I like, mean, Gofield is not mentioned all that much in the battles. Like, it's more the bigger the, the armies, which the Army of the Cumberland was the biggest of the two, followed by the Army of the Tennessee and then the Army of Ohio. Yeah, Schofield was almost like AP Hill at Gettysburg. He just, yeah. no one knows what he did. I know. Just don't know. You occasionally hear about him, but... No, definitely. The other army on the field, commanded by John Bill Hood, you have William Hardy on mm-hmm. one side. And and so you look at the guys he had. He had your guy, Patrick Claiborne. Yeah. Certainly. We talked about before. Uh, and then going into the whole Atlantic campaign, you had you know, John Bill Hood actually had, was one of the um, the commanders of the other side, along with Leonidas Pope. And then, of course, William Wheeler in, in charge of the cavalry. Yeah. So you're talking about 50,000 guys going into the Atlantic campaign. And those, those numbers had dropped off as, as time went on. But I think people look at the Battle of Atlanta as more of a a smaller battle, uh, but it's actually just as big as a lot of the big ones in the East, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole campaign is just, it, it's about four months from start to finish. One thing to add in about Polk is he is killed on June 14th when he's out scouting enemy positions. And he's actually has a pretty horrific death, but the artillery that is firing the shots that kill him, battery one of the first light Ohio, Ohio light artillery, and it's Sherman who tells Howard to tell his men to do the firing. Yeah. It's actually Howard again. <laughs> what, what, what does he not do? I know. Yeah. Walked right across the Mississippi. If I can, if I can mention him in every episode, I will be happy. <laughs> Even if it's not an episode to do anything with him. Every time you mention Howard, I think of Trudeau flipping his hair. Because <laughs> Howard has the Trudeau hair. He has the hair, exactly. <laughs> but so, so what, so Hood, obviously, he takes over, he's aggressive, he ultimately gets pushed back into Atlanta again, and the need to defend Atlanta is huge. You mentioned before about the, the industry there, a lot of yep. the forges, the, a lot of the, the warehouses, a lot of the factories. It's obviously a railroad, a railroad, um, mm-hmm. hub. Not that it's got great barbecue. Right? Yes. I mean, you can't let the union in there and take that barbecue out. You know, there's a lot of reasons why he's going to want to defend the city of Atlanta, yeah. but he ultimately does pull back and he certainly is going to end up trying to continue that offensive mindset. So he's pinned back in Atlanta. Sherman's all around him, but he decides to be more aggressive still by what does he do? Attack the supply lines. Yeah. Because what he wants to do is he wants to attack and he wants Sherman to attack him. Mm-hmm. ultimately push back on that. Basically lure him into the fight on the ground that he wants. And Sherman never really takes the base. No. Because I think Sherman, Sherman's got his own plan. But certainly when you look at the whole, when you look at the whole battle and how it all ultimately plays itself out, you can sort of see what Hood was sort of trying to do once Peachtree was over. Once he realized he can't just start swinging at these guys, he's going to have to be smart about it. Yeah. But again, it doesn't work out, obviously, as we talked about. Once Hood is in Atlanta and basically it becomes like a siege. You have, you know, battles like, um, like there's Ezra Church on July the 28th, Utoy Creek, August 5th to 7th, Dalton, 14th to 15th, Lovejoy Station. And it finally all culminates with the Battle of Jonesboro 
anniversary, which we're recording on today, this is where that Sherman is finally determined that he needs to cut Hood's railway supply lines to force the Confederates to leave Atlanta. Now, the whole objective with the Atlanta campaign is for Sherman to destroy Hood's army of Tennessee. Not necessarily to secure the city of Atlanta. It is because what Lincoln wanted at this time was go after Lee's army, go after army of Tennessee, get the armies, don't worry about the cities kind of thing. That's just how he was, that's what well, he wanted the objective to do. Simon Lincoln said all the time, meet in those guys, your, your objective is not Lee. Richmond, your objective, McClellan, it's Lee, it's the army. Your, the army is what, you, is what you're looking yeah. to do. And But you know, well, Hood, to his credit, I guess, I'm not a big Hood guy, but certainly, you know, he does order Hardy to go around, try to hit that left flank, use Wheeler's cavalry to basically try to hit that supply line again. But what he ends up doing, obviously, is uses Cheatham to attack the Union front. And when Hardy's attack failed, it basically put them in a very vulnerable situation. It ends up with Burbsey, McPherson, obviously mm-hmm. getting getting killed, and yeah. and that affected that we talked a lot about that. But really, it's that it's that when Hardy hits them right there, that that whole McPherson death. That that's really when the the actual battle of Atlanta begins. Mm-hmm. as far as the actual battle goes. But he being killed, and you mentioned before, and I actually have some quotes here, because I am very prepared yes. about the uh, about McPherson dying. Hood himself said, death caused me many times sorrow over so. That's what that Hood said. I don't know what accent he probably <laughs> had, but that's that's pretty much what it said. But Sherman, you know, to your point, he actually wept and he had that quote he wrote yeah. to his wife and he said, why should death's darts Reach the young and uh, in the brilliant instead of instead of the old, which is actually a pretty good quote. But I think it goes to show how popular McPherson was. Yeah, I mean it's not too unreasonable to think that this guy if he survives the war be president someday. That's what they were saying about him. Right? He was he was just that talented. He was thirty five years old. That's all he was. Yeah, thirty five. What were you doing at age thirty five? I wasn't commanding an army. I could have. No. Yeah, I probably could have too. No, I can't remember what I was doing at thirty five. <laughs> But, 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 not me either, actually. But, but, but you, but you look at it though, is, is how, how a lot of, you talked before about how history could have changed, but it goes to show how popular he was as far as overall mm-hmm. on both sides. And then we'll find, we'll find out when this battle's over what Sherman and Hood really thought about each other. Yeah. We'll talk about their letters and they weren't talking about weeping about death's darts. No. That's for damn sure. But again, it, it just, it just ultimately, you look at how the whole plays itself out. Sprague 16th Corps, he ends up, is attacked by Wheeler's cavalry again. But again, the feds, the feds fled, but Wheeler still falls back to Atlanta and basically it ends up culminating in that big battle uh, of Bald Hill, right? Where you have Hardy and Cheatham kind of making that L, that surrounding thing on the bottom, almost like almost like a fish hook kind of. Yeah. Okay? But again, the, basically just it just wasn't going to help. The Federal Army ultimately wins that battle. They ultimately hold it. Rebs basically still hold the city. They're still in the city. Finally, they, Sherman settles at that, at that siege and eventually, you know, Hood's like, screw you guys, I'm going home. And he decides he's going to take off and he leaves and the siege of the city starts and it just kind of goes on and on, culminating to Battle of Jones. Yep, which the anniversary is today, 1864, the second day. It's the final day of it, September the 1st. So what Sherman does here is he's decided that if he can cut Hood's railway supply line, get him to leave Atlanta, then he's got this. But again, like I said, the goal is not to get Atlanta necessarily. It's He's supposed to be destroying Hood's army. So what he does this time is prior to this, in this siege, he's sent out cavalry detachments to... To cut the supply lines, but they're quickly repaired. And finally, he's, you know, Sherman is all, fuck this. He decides to move six of his seven infantry corps against the supply lines at Jonesboro Station. Hood is going to send in Hardy with two corps to possibly route the Union troops. And this does not happen. He's repulsed. And it's actually, it's Hardy's corps, but it's Claiborne who's in command. And he's outnumbered three to one. And he's up against Oliver Otis Howard. And Claiborne on August 31st is going to send in repeated attacks. And Howard and 
his men repulse every single one. So the next day, the same thing is done and each attack gets repulsed and the Union Corps bro- break through the lines and the Confederates have to retreat to Lovejoy Station. And the other thing that happened here too was, his name's escaping me now, but there is a Union officer that wins the Medal of Honor here. Oh. And I tweeted about him earlier. Was it old Oliver Otis Howard by any chance? No, Oliver Otis Howard did not, <laughs> did not win the Medal of Honor. When in doubt. But again, you know, you, you mentioned that the Battle of Jonesboro, and again, you look at you look at some of the mistakes that ultimately were made at that battle. You mentioned you certainly mentioned Claiborne, but I mean, if you if you look at what he did, though, pretty big mistake himself in that battle. Yeah. You know, he had they're trying to keep the Union Army east of the Flint River, mm-hmm. and Kilpatrick's cavalry is kind of hitting Claiborne, and he chases him. Yeah. And so he he ends up exposing the left side, the left flank of the Confederate Army. So and now the Union is just going to pound the middle. Because a lot of the flanks are gone. So if you want to, if you do want to look at a mistake that Claiborne did actually make in this battle, mm-hmm. it was taking the beta pack. Oh yeah. Just like the, 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 yeah, the cavalry guy. Because he did expose the flanks. I don't think it makes a difference in the end. I think it probably would have failed anyway, because to your yeah. point, they hit him with the kitchen sink. Yeah. Everything they could get their hands on, Sherman hit him with. Oh yeah, Sherman's just going for it. But I think Claiborne, he had fought in battles before where he's outnumbered. Ringled Gap, he was completely outnumbered against Tooker at that battle. And he managed to hold back. He was meant to bring up the defensive or to kind of shield the retreat of Bragg's army. Absalom Barrett, who won the Medal of Honor okay. at the Battle of Jonesboro. So the Confederate troops end up withdrawing to, to Lovejoy Station, and with no other option, Hood's forced to evacuate Atlanta on the evening of September 1st, 1864. So in under four months, Sherman has managed to secure the city that is the gateway to the heartway of the Confederacy. Captain from, from General Slocum's command goes into the city. Yeah. He gets the gets the surrender from Mayor, Mayor Calhoun right downtown Atlanta, which must have really pissed them off. Can you imagine yeah. that? Having to do that. And what was a famous quote that Sherman said to Lincoln? Sherman will wire Lincoln and Halleck a few days later and he will say Atlanta is ours and fairly won. Fairly, fairly won. won. Fairly won. Yeah. I use um, that quote quite a bit every single day. And Robert L. O'Connell in his book, Fierce Patriot, which is hands down the best biography to read about General Sherman. It is a shorter biography, but you're going to learn so much about him in it. He said that capturing Atlanta and its war industries dealt a devastating blow to Southern hopes of somehow emerging victorious. And with for Lincoln, it means he's going to win the election. In his own memoirs, Sherman writes that the night that, that Hood leaves Atlanta, he writes, that night I was so restless and impatient I could not sleep. And about midnight there arose toward Atlanta, sounds of shells exploding, other sounds like that of musketry. So that is Hood starting to blow shit up before he leaves, because that's what he does. Sherman is very conversational in his memoirs when he he's writing about capturing Atlanta. He said, glad tidings flew on all wings of the electricity to all parts of the north, where the people had patiently awaited news of their husbands, sons, and brothers away down in Dixieland. Yeah. Sherman's a drama queen in his memoirs, too. And he also says, the brilliant success of Atlanta filled that requirement and made the election of Mr. Lincoln certain. Can you Imagine Lincoln's reaction when he finds oh. out that Atlanta's won. The rail splitter he had in those britches when he won that election. Yeah. How excited he must have been. Because <laughs> because he knew he had it. Because go think about it. He's going from, I'm going to lose this. McClellan's going to take over. He's going to win this election. They're going to super peace and everything. All those soldiers dead. Everyone goes for naught. Everything. Mm-hmm. And now Sherman, he gets hood, yep. pushes right through him, gets Atlanta. And all of a sudden, the whole mood changes. Now, all of a sudden, it's, it's star-spangled awesome in the North. Exactly. Now, they're thinking, we got this. Now, he's reelected. And now, Lincoln is a little more emboldened as far as the rest of the campaign goes. Now, you've got Sherman going east to Savannah. He 
has Grant going east to start the Overland campaign. Yeah. And we'll, you know, we'll meet you in Virginia. We'll pincer them and finish this whole thing up. You could not have drawn up a better script if you wanted to, as far no. as the Battle of Atlanta goes. Because so many things could have gone wrong. Yeah. Now, the one thing I'm going to hit Sherman on, it is the one thing, is he didn't, he didn't free Andersonville no. when he went right by it. And that, that's one thing that's tough to sit there and go through this whole thing, is he had an opportunity because as soon as Sherman and Grant were coming down in that area, the Confederacy was taking those prisoners, sending them to places like Florence, we talked about yep. a couple weeks ago. He knew they were there, and he just couldn't deal with the prisoners, he couldn't deal with the backlog, and he left them. Now, I understand why he did it, but it's something that's t- it's tough to look back on. When it, I've never been to Andersonville, but but obviously I've seen studied it immensely. It's tough to imagine how he could have left them all behind. Yeah. Right? But again, that's that shows the tunnel vision of Sherman, though. It shows oh, yeah. what he had to be focused on. He had one goal, he had one job, and that was, that was it, and he certainly did it. But it, it is something, it is kind of a bittersweet thing. It is something that's kind of, yeah. when you think about it, if you are going to take a shot at the Atlanta campaign, it's that. But you know what? They'll be dead anyway. So much you know, now. So. Yeah, it's one of those things I think he probably knew, but it was one of those like, okay, well, I'm going to get criticized for this, but I can't right now. Like, I can't. I can't risk what we're doing. Well, it goes back to when he was marching through Georgia when the slaves started following him. Yeah. I mean, you can't feed that many people. You can't take that many people no. with you. So you have to make tough decisions. And it was probably the right call because once yeah. they get past I me, mean, he gets to Atlanta. And like we said, he's living off the barbecue, living off of all the, the sweet tea and enjoying the good life of Atlanta. But now he's leaving the rail line and he's going to the, he's going to the march of the sea now. So his supply line's gone. Now he's living off the land. Yeah. And it goes into the whole burning the farms and foraging and, and all the stuff that Sherman is so popular for down in, down in, yep. in Georgia right now. <laughs> but he goes away from his train. He goes away from the supply line because he'd been following that Western Railroad the whole time. And to his credit, he had engineers in his army that were smart and trained to fix railroads yep. in case the Confederates did try to destroy their supply lines. But once he gets past Atlanta, he's in the sticks again. He has to live off the land. So what happens if he's got an additional 25,000 prisoners of war who are emaciated and sick? I mean, it makes sense. It, it, really, it does. Yeah, it's but just it's, one of those um, things where it's like, well, I think we're looking at it from, from today and, and thinking like, well, why? But he clearly had his reasons. Not that it's right, but... That's a bummer. Um, I mean, he made the right yeah. call militarily, but it's one of those humanitarian things that it's just, you know, Sherman was never the warm and fuzzy yeah. type anyway, despite... Well, except for except for Burbside and Fierce. I mean, yeah, apparently, soft spot for yeah. Him. yeah. You know? I mean, Sherman treated his men well. I think he was pretty nice to that. Uncle Billy, you know? Yep, Uncle Uncle Blingy. Uncle <laughs> so Blingy. So we call him. So Sherman's whole purpose with Atlanta is to make it into a purely military garrison and or depot. And to do that, he's got to get rid of the citizens out of there. Like, that's no place for them. So he writes to Halleck, If the people raise a howl against my barbarity and cruelty, I will answer that war is war and not popularity seeking. If they want peace, then they and their relatives must stop war. In other words, not my fucking problem. Exactly. Not my fucking problem. It, but you know what? To his credit, though, he actually comes up with a relatively good, humane plan to get he them does. out of there. I mean, is it kind of funny? He sends them to a town called Rough and Ready. Yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> being a cheerleader in Rough and Ready? <laughs> I'm just saying. But basically, he have, he comes up with a plan to basically, he says, we'll supply the transportation, we'll get him down there, yeah. and then we're going to let him go. You can go to Tennessee, you can go to Kentucky, you can go to the moon with Howard, you can go wherever you want. <laughs> But we're going to help get you out of here because we're going to blow the shit out of the city. And it ends up with a pretty interesting set of letters with John Bellhood. Yes. And the, the first letter is written on September 7th, 1864. And it's pretty well what, what Darren has just summed up that, you know, Sherman writes Hood and says, I've deemed it in the interest of the United States that the citizens now residing in Atlanta should remove those who prefer to go south and the rest north. So he's giving them options. He's got given options for those that want to go north, although Sherman is preferring that they go south. And then south, they are, they Sherman says, 
because he will get them as far as rough and ready, but he doesn't want them there because for military reasons. The other thing that he also says in this first letter is that the the slaves, they can go if it's voluntary. But if the slaves are like, no, I'm not going with my master or mistress, then they can, they will, the Union Army will take care of them. Sherman has told Hood, the men will be employed by us. Right, and exactly. He's laying out, he writes this letter very calm. We want to meet and talk about this. There's not going to be anything taken. He says, I propose a truce so we can work this out. And he sends that letter to Hood and Hood writes him back. Yeah, Hood gets the letter and he's, and the funny part about the Hood letter is, I'm not sure if Hood has some kind of personality thing or he just flipped his wig, but he starts off with, thank you for the truce. I appreciate, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not reading it, but he basically says, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I have no choice. This is the way it is. But then he I'm not sure what happens. He he flips his wig, like oh. alcohol kicked in or something. He then loses it, and he's going on about how taking women and children from their homes is ingenious cruelty, he says. He talks about how the artillerists are, are bombing the towns. He said, question of the valor and pageantry of the local women. I just made that quote up. I don't know if it sounds like <laughs> But, but he, he, he basically says, what you're doing is inhumane to take them out of their hearths and homes as women and children after you basically purposely bombed them. And he says, basically, I know you did. And, and can you imagine? Sherman getting that letter back. Oh, and when Sherman got that letter back, it was kind of like, oh no, you didn't. You you did not just call me out for that. And he writes back this scathing letter where he just loses his shit on Hood. These letters become something that it's like watching teenage girls fight. Except they're they're telling each other to fuck off and go to hell in very flowery language. There's no better way to say, you know, GFY at SMD better than Victorian English. Exactly what they did. It was it was fantastic reading. Especially back, I mean, I can only imagine, you know, some of these guys in Sherman's staff, like Butterfield, kind of laughing his ass off. Seriously? Yeah, that's what he said? But Sherman's letter with the back was, was equally hilarious. Oh, yeah. Like he's saying, you yourself burn dwelling houses along your parapet. And he's also saying, you who in the midst of peace and prosperity have plunged a nation into war, dark and cruel war. He goes on for like sentence after sentence of just everything the Confederacy has done. And he's just like yeah. hitting Hood with everything he has. Well, he calls, he says, basically your chick and shit you attack forts and ships and that goes and then he has that great quote where he says let us fight it out like men yes and then which uh, which which if, if that, that would piss me off but then he, he writes up and he, you know what like when you send that email like when you get an email at work and you, you piss at somebody yeah. and instead of waiting like five minutes to cool your head you just pound out your email and send it and you go yep. fuck yeah, fuck. I, I imagine he, he, he probably, I mean, Sherman was in the position to send that because he was a conquering guy of the town. You can see Sherman's temper in these letters. Because even the way he writes it, when you tell someone, let's fight it out like men in a, in a wartime, oh. it's basically, what's, what's, what's he telling Hood? What does he think of Hood? Yeah. He's less than, he's less than a man. He's, he's yeah. basically saying, he's basically saying, you're a coward. You know, you, you fight, you take cheap shots and blah, blah, blah. And so Hood can only imagine how pissed off he must have been. But he, of course, this goes on and on and on. It's like an internet message board. Yep, it is. It's, and you know, Hood is saying stuff to him, like in the letter, next letter back. The thing that stood out to me in this one letter back to Sherman on September 12th was you came into our country with your army avowedly for the purpose of subjugating three white men, women, and children, and not only intend to rule over them, but you make Negroes your allies. Yeah. He goes on. The letters are all, some parts of them, what Hood is saying is very shocking. But then Hood again, he goes, flips out, because he basically says, okay, listen, blingy, here's the deal, okay? I'm under orders like you are. I gotta, I'm, I'm in charge of this crowd. I, I, I'm under orders basically to help facilitate this war. So he's almost like saying, you know, it is, it is what it is but then he flips again and he starts saying things like all oh, in this you know in the south 
all men, women, and children will fight you to the death. Yeah. And that's the quote he uses. So he, he kind of goes back, like kind of like saying, okay, calm down. This is the deal. Of, this is the job. But then he goes back and he tells them about how the women, men, women, men, and children, if you're going to attack them, they're going to fight you right to the death. Yeah. And obviously Sherman predictably doesn't appreciate that comment as well. Yeah. He, he definitely, he doesn't. But, but then it gets funny though, because what does Sherman say? So Hood sends him that letter on September 12th, 1864. Yeah. 9.14, the letter gets back to him. So you know, they had really shitty internet. It took two days to get there. Yep. <laughs> he goes, what does Sherman say? He tells Hood, you guys started it, not us. Yep, yeah. He Which says, is a classic, classic. Yep. He's like, then it turns into the, you know, look, man, whatever, okay, you started it. So when he says that bombing a land was justified, but, you know, it had weapons factories, it had armories, it had all this stuff. And then he basically says, you know, I, I he finished by saying, I don't, I don't take satisfaction in this, blah, blah, blah. But Hood's convinced that he's purposely missing these foundries and these armories and he's hitting the neighborhoods. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe. I mean, maybe they had those fuses they had in Gettysburg. Who knows? There's so much propaganda going on this time, too, because what Hood is going to do with these letters is he's going to have them published in some Georgia newspapers and he's going to fucking pick and choose what parts to make himself look better. And Sherman ends the correspondence with Hood by saying, I was not bound by the laws of war to give notice of the shelling of Atlanta, a quote-unquote fortified town with magazines, arsenals, founders, and public stores, you were bound to take notice, see the books. This is the conclusion of our correspondence, which I did not begin and terminate with satisfaction. I mean, it is funny, the flowery language, though. Can you imagine if this was done today in a text message variety, oh. what it would it look like? What, what do you think? Let's just kind of take it from the top, okay? So he, he starts his letters. Let's pretend they're texting and they're going back and forth. Yeah. What do you think he says? So September 9th, eighteen. Yeah, go back on the 9th. Yep, the first letter. Hey, Hood. So the citizens of Atlanta need to GTFO if they choose to go north, which I'll be honest... I prefer they didn't. Oh. I prefer them to go south. I'll still transport them, though. If they go south, I can get them as far as that rough and ready place. Oh, and the slaves. Yeah, that issue right there. Unless they are willingly going, the owners, they stay. The men will be employed by us. Mm -hmm. This is of the best interest in the United States. I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to do shit to you. I want a truce. So let's get this done. It'll be a lot easier if it's done quicker. All right. I mean, Hood, like we said when he comes back, he would have been like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have much of a friggin' choice. I'll, I'll accept this, this truce and I'll hook you up with rides and I'll, I'll, I'll take you wherever. But just so you know, this is completely, totally harsh. So like whatever, you know, pulling women and children from their homes is a total, total dick move on your part. I hope you were happy with yourself. It'd be something like that. Yeah. And you would have been like, send, you know? And actually, we were, if this, if going back to text messages, this was my mother texting. It would have taken for hours to send this because she's one of those serial killer text people who every sentence she has to send. Hi, Darren. How are you? Send. I'm doing well. Send. How's your day? Send. Every time I, I get texts, like I win the friggin' price is right every single time I get text messages from. But that's how it would have gone. It would have gone, it would have been like, okay, thanks for the ride, dude, whatever. But you're a dick. This is because what you did was ridiculously unacceptable and friggin' I hope you're happy with yourself. And it would have been awful. But a total wife message. Absolutely. Yeah, and Sherman would probably write him back, losing his shit. Dude, fuck you. <laughs> Again goes back to Lee's battery point. Yep. <laughs> Don't sit there and tell me that you did not burn houses along that parapet of yours. Don't don't do that shit. Don't act all 
freaking innocent with me. And also, let me remind you of why I'm here. It's because it was you and your people that decided to start this fucking war. Yeah. I didn't ask for this shit. It was you. So you know what? You're going to have to deal with it. I want Atlanta fair and square. You left. Also, if we're going to fight this out, do it like men. Not do it like teenage girls in high school. Be harsh, Ty. Like, but you started it, John. You started <sighs> this war. Whatever, Billy. Total, you know... You, you totally had your artillery overshoot our lines and target our civilians. It's completely your fault. And, and for you to totally justify this is completely ridiculous. I know, I, I know a guy who told me that you definitely purposely were overshooting. So spare me your, we didn't need to do it shit. And you totally came up with that. We, this, we started this war crap as well. You're so full of it. And, and, and just so you know, my people are pissed the hell off. It will absolutely fight you to the death as long as we live. Middle finger emoji. That's how it would have been. <laughs> like five times. Oh, big time, big time. But you can see that just the, the back and forth. You used to see these flowery letters and how, how it totally would have played itself out. There's no, oh, there's no yeah. question. And then when Sherman writes him back, he's going to get one more dig in. Hey, John, this is it. And we are fucking done. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> Whatever kind of gossip you heard... <laughs> whatever but still you can't deny that you started this you started this whole war and i was not bound by any laws of war to let you fucking know i was going to show your city you should have known that you saw me across you yeah. saw me out there you knew i was there you had to have noticed that and knew it was going to happen see if you could see mary right now like i can you can see the fire in her eyes right now she wants to bomb the shit out of atlanta herself right now wow look at, look at you go don't don't piss you off anytime soon <laughs> and then the last text message is going to be like, don't text me anymore. You're a dick. SMD moving emoji. emoji. <laughs> wow. But then the other thing that happens is Sherman has to send Halleck all these letters. That's the funniest part about that is he writes this and I'm not sure if he felt guilty or like, oh shit, I shouldn't have done this. But his letter to Halleck, which is kind of like basically, this is what I did. Did I do okay? Am I, am I in trouble? Am yeah. I right? It is hilarious too. You know, well, I have a text message that he's going to send to Halleck. You have the actual text message? Yeah. Wow. I'm forwarding you the text exchange between Hood and myself, but you may have already seen parts. And trust me, he fucking cherry picked. You might have seen them on Twitter and Facebook already. My point. He started it. Yeah, I fucking went there as well, though, with him because he pissed me off with his shit. I started off cool with him and gave him the best terms possible. And you know what he did? He fucking laid into me about shit. Well, guess what, Halleck? They started this war, and I made sure in every single letter I wrote him back that he was reminded of that. Guess what? We want Atlanta fair and square. We need the houses and dwellings for military reasons, and we're going to get them. And I really don't give a fuck what John Bell Hood or anybody else in the Confederacy thinks about that. Mary, calm down. It's okay. <laughs> the battle's over. Just let it go. Okay? <laughs> Well, you that escalated quickly. I mean, that that, that really took off. But but I think the, the, the wow, I don't know, don't know what to say. And for me, that's 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 quite a, a unusual thing. But but I think the overall gist of the overall Atlanta campaign and, and, and going back to the beginning again was was I think Hood had a bad battle plan from the beginning. I yeah. think the whole thing from Davis all the way down to play more offense and then talk, eventually we'll talk Franklin with these guys, but Hood obviously didn't learn because he did the same thing all over again. But it ultimately ends with Atlanta falling, the Union capturing Atlanta, Lincoln winning election in 1864, which emboldens him to bring Grant over to the East, set up the Overland campaign, 
and basically squeeze the life out of the Confederacy, which ultimately the roads ultimately led to Appomattox. Mm -hmm. So you can trail without this Atlanta battle. You probably don't have you don't have Lincoln. You probably have McClellan, and none of that stuff matters. None of it matters. So in my opinion. The Battle of Atlanta is significantly more important on a political grand scheme than Gettysburg was. I don't think it was more important militarily than Vicksburg was. But I think for what it basically did is it shut McClellan up. It guaranteed he lost. The Peace Democrats, the Copperheads in the North, they couldn't say it anymore. And there was this new new burst of pride in the North that we can win this frigging war. Now we got it. Whereas heading into Atlanta, it was still up in the air. Yeah. And if the Confederacy, like we said at the beginning, had just muddied the water a la Vicksburg and just delayed them and stalled them. They only had to stall them three months. I mean, Vicksburg went on for 100 years. I mean, it took forever. And, and when you look at that overall end thing, I think that's a gigantic mistake that Confederacy made was playing offense instead of defense, and it cost them the whole friggin' thing. Yeah, no, I, I completely Off. agree. I Rant completely. over. I completely agree with you about that. And while Sherman is going to be victorious, obviously it, it works out for him and it works out for the America in the end. He will issue on September 4th, he will issue Special Field Order 64, which he announced to his troops that the army having accomplished its undertaking in the complete reduction and occupation of Atlanta will occupy the place and the country near it until a new campaign is planned in concert with other grand armies in the United States. So Sherman is going to be there from September 2nd until mid-November 1864, which is when he will begin his march to the sea. And I'm pretty sure we'll, we will be doing some episodes about that. If only knew who their wing commanders were. I know. Well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. But I think, I think overall, the takeaway from Atlanta is it had gigantic political ramifications. Mm -hmm. it, helped, it helped win the election. And, and really, that was it. I think when when you're fighting a war, you either have to win through might or through will. Yep. You know, there's that old military formula: if either might or will is zero, and you multiply together, you lose. So the Confederacy was never going to win with with might. They had to win with will, and this was their best chance. If they could just keep the will negative in the North, then certainly that probably would have won via the election because they would have got sick of fighting. So hence, Atlanta. Yes, it was very, very important for, for Lincoln's election, for sure. And it's for those that like numbers, because I know some of our listeners probably do, casualties for the whole campaign were 31,687 Union and then 34,979 Confederates. For that's the entire campaign from May until September the second. I think it's we can certainly say the biggest casualty of all was definitely McPherson. Yeah, McPherson. McPherson definitely was the biggest casualty, probably on on both sides as well. You're seeing like Hood being put in place too, which is essentially that's like the final nail in the Confederacy right there. Because when he took over, the men did not like that. They were they were like, oh my God, we want Johnston because Hood was the type of guy who felt he had sacrificed his body on the altar of the Confederacy, and he felt like his should do the same thing as we all know it kind of culminates in the battle of franklin no i mean he was i mean he was there he was a butcher he was and he was he yeah. was go 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 he was a high octane offensive go 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 guy but i think when you have a go 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 guy in position when you should be stalling and slowing and playing defense yeah. it, it, it kind of goes to the overall bad game plan of the whole battle yeah yeah but yeah definitely yeah. mcpherson's death actually mcpherson would warrant a whole episode i think he's a really interesting guy to study yes all he accomplished yes. in the civil war and and at a significantly like you know he's about 10 years younger than grant and sherman and he's, so, he's only 35 years yeah, old not very yeah i think he's actually there's a few like claiborne was one of the other ones that was in his mid-30s too that was very talented a lot a lot of these guys i mean i know a lot of them are older 
Yeah. But but for the most part, I mean, he he's someone who you think. What I always think about with this war, we go back to the whole personification of these people. Yeah. How many future presidents or industry leaders of of, of society did this war cost? Mm-hmm. Oh, McPherson. You know? McPherson definitely was one of them, and I think too. People are going to think I'm obsessed with Claiborne as well. But I think had Claiborne lived, had he not been killed at Franklin, he would have been like a James Longstreet, and I think he would have really kind of changed his views about the confederacy and he would have been seen things a little bit differently like Longstreet did you know kind of I mean get back certainly Mosby did I mean if Mosby did then certainly Claiborne was gonna Claiborne was either was from Ireland and we talked about I don't think he completely 100% understood the whole uh, the economy and all that like he I think he was more for the independence part of it the man draws up an emancipation for slave which is ultimately what caused him not to get command it definitely did but it's always great talking about Atlanta any chance I wear my 20 to 3 t-shirts. Yep. I'm certainly going to do it. And my Atlanta, and, I've got and my... And your Atlanta hat. And we both Atlanta got our... Atlanta shirt, Patriots. Both, pro, both proud Patriot fans wearing yep. their Patriots hat now. So I think I think this is a great place to drop off, I think. Great to, to understand the overall importance of it. And maybe tease next week's episode Ooh. with our football stuff. Yes, we're going to be having a football what, episode. What if we tried to correspond Civil War generals with current NFL teams. Wouldn't that be a fun one to do? And we might be looking for your input for teams. So stay tuned on social media accounts, which you can follow us. We are on Twitter at CW Breakfast Club. And we have a Facebook page, so Civil War Breakfast Club. And we are also on Instagram as Civil War Breakfast Club. So you can follow us in all three of those platforms. We try and, both of us try and post on there when we when we get a chance to. The other social media website that we wanted to give a shout out to tonight, which is one of our favorite ones, is called Civil War Lampoon. Yes, good, good. If you, if you enjoy the Civil War quality history and you like to have fun and you're on Facebook, check out Civil War Lampoon, both myself and... Mary are on it, as are a lot of different people, and it's a lot of fun. So if you're not, if you're not on already, my friend Al does a great, great job with this. This is a three-year anniversary today of the Great Civil War Lampoon. So happy anniversary to that. And so definitely check it out. So that's, that'll be our plug for, for this. So yeah, there you go, Al. Hopefully you get a lot of uh, good uh, followers now. Yep. And um, I am just a little bit of housekeeping. I'm still trying to get us on iTunes right now. I'm struggling with our logo to get it to be the correct size. But once I do get us on iTunes and some other platforms, I will be sure to to tweet about that. But we just want to thank everybody for all your support so far with this. We love the little community that we are starting to form. We had a great discussion on Twitter today about just a history what if. And it was had lots of different people participating in it. And the, the thing about it is like, nobody got angry. Everybody was respectful which was awesome. Which was pretty rare, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes things can digress pretty badly, but this time it didn't, so I was quite happy about that. <laughs> All right, Mary, well, hey, you know, great night as always. Yeah. Always fun to talk about Atlanta. Always good to talk about our our friends in the in the Western theater with some yeah. quality hashtag Western commentary. We will look forward to seeing you next uh, next week. So the one thing we've got to mention, maybe you did and I wasn't paying attention because I do that, is we are going to be doing Facebook Live Yes. right after this. You didn't mention that, did you? I didn't mention it. So, so this episode will drop. Well, I'm going to get it posted probably honestly by about 7:30 on Saturday morning, but then I'll announce it on Twitter at about 8:30. But anyway, at 10 o'clock, we're going to be doing a Facebook Live on our Facebook page, and we would welcome any of you to come on there. We're going to be talking just post game with this episode, but 
I mean, we're happy to talk about anything or answer any questions that you guys have. So we hope that you will join us on there for that Saturday at around 10 o'clock and we'll be on there. You know, we'll see how long just we've got a lot of people on discussion might last about an hour. Last time it was 45 minutes. So had a great time. Thanks to all the people who showed up to our first one. Um, Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, but anyway, I think that's a wrap for tonight. Definitely is. We secured Atlanta. We did. We, we did it. We did it. We, uh, we came back from 28 to 3. We won at the end. Yep. Atlanta is ours and fairly won. It certainly is. Well, good night, Mary. It's always a pleasure to see you. And we yes. will look forward to talking to you soon. Facebook Live after this drops on Saturday. And we will look forward to talking to anyone who, for whatever reason, wants to talk to us. Yes. So anyway, thank you all for, for listening. And we welcome any feedback you have or episode suggestions. So on behalf of Darren and myself, have a really awesome weekend. And we will see you all again soon. Bye. Peace out. Peace.